And welcome to the game of the year, the one we've all been waiting for. There's a capacity crowd here, the conditions are absolutely perfect, with an atmosphere that's really electric. Now the band's just leaving the pitch, and we're waiting for... Yes, I, I think I can see them. Yes, it's the team. Here they come. Just listen to that roar. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. Welcome to episode number 12 of Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. I am Ken Tomash, working the Night Watch out of Bunko Squad. My partner is Dan Loney. This week, U.S. fortunes go south in South Africa. Giuseppe Rossi becomes an enemy of the state. We'll talk about the top team in United Soccer League's Division One, And we'll review your picks for the Mount Rushmore of American soccer. That's all ahead on this episode of Four at the Back. Topic 1. First up, the Confederations Cup. Dan said it was important for the U.S. men's national team to have a good showing in South Africa. So much for that. As we record this, the Yanks have lost 3-1 to Italy and 3-0 to Brazil with the Egypt match coming up on Sunday. And we could go at this one game at a time, Dan, but I think both games really point out what seems to be the problem. The U.S. just isn't good enough to compete with the truly elite teams in the world. Not fast enough, not sure enough, not steady enough, too many mistakes. Absolutely, 100%, not good enough. Where are you getting that from? Uh, yeah. Call me crazy. Oh, God. It's part of the issue is just what a disappointing opportunity was lost. As I was talking about last week, how often do you get a chance to play teams like this? And for 50, 60, 70 years, no American ever did. And now you have a reasonably big stage and you have the, the most famous players in the world and you just go nipples north. I mean, it was like uh, Achilles against army ants. It was, it was horrifying. And the, just the, just that disappointment is hard for me to get by. I mean, it just, it's one thing to lose. I mean, it's a big thing to lose, but still it's one thing just, but to look helpless. And this is, this is an experienced team by now is the frightening thing. This is not some Caribbean postage stamp about to be sunk by a volcano. This is a team that's been to every World Cup now in 20 years. This is a team that's seen horrible things <laughs> happen to them and wonderful things happen to them. They should not be intimidated, brushed aside, mindless, aimless, helpless. The list does go on, and uh, I understand – well – yeah, I don't know how to solve it. I don't know if anybody knows how to solve it. But Azteca looms, and won't that be fun? Now, I'm not one of those hysterical fans normally who just says, fire the coach, as a rule. And I'm not, in this case, I'm not sure that Jurgen Klinsmann or somebody else you could go out and get would necessarily have more success with this group of players. I mean, another coach might make a different lineup. You might play Freddie Adu or Jose Torres or bench DeMarcus Beasley or something. But by and large, I still think, that it's less about motivation and tactics and more about the fact that the U.S. lacks a true goal scorer from the run of play, a, a true high-class creative midfielder, and big, strong, fast defenders or defenders who are two of, of those three things. Other than that, they're great. I just don't think we have the horses. We it, Boy, it's hard to argue with that, to say the very least. And the other part of the equation is all you have to do is look at what Mexico has gone through. They had the the motivational speaker in Hugo Sanchez. Then they had the big foreign name, Sven Goran, 
And now they're going back to, for want of a better term, a retread. He was the guy who lost to the United States in 2002 and got fired for that. So it's strange that it, it's a running disease in CONCACAF that nobody can find a leader. And I think part of the problem is there's nobody to lead. I realize I've put Landon Donovan on my Mount Rushmore, and I think the United States goes pretty much as far as he will take them. But then who does he pass to? Who gets the ball to him? What happens when the, the back line breaks down? And the back line breaks down all the time. One of the frustrating things about our talent pool is you – you only get these kind of popular picks after the main guys disappoint. Nobody goes out and takes a spot. I think the last guy to do that was probably Frankie Haduk back in 1990, January of 1998. I mean, the only other exceptions are the ones who are like David Regi who's given a spot. Nobody really goes out and asserts themselves and wants to – to be an international star for the United States, which is a different issue. <laughs> well, and as much as I love Brian McBride, if he's the answer, we've got serious problems. I mean, you, going backwards is not, I don't think, is, is the way to go. Oh, my God, no. I mean, we love Brian McBride. He's wonderful. I've got all the time in the world for him. And he was he was not the answer in 2006. I mean, you want to talk about the amnesia people have. Uh, yes, he had his face broken by Danielle De Rossi, but <laughs> but and yes, he was stranded by Bruce Arena in a four-five-one. But what would he have done with whatever pygmy, either in stature or in talent, we'd put alongside of him? It's the same question we have today. Instead of Who's going to play alongside McBride? It's who's going to play. So what now, uh, short-term-wise? We're, we're likely to see a, a lesser squad in the Gold Cup because the European players are going to need some time off because once they go back to their club seasons, they're going to play straight through to the World Cup. And also this edition of the Gold Cup doesn't get you through to the Confederations Cup next time around. So what's to be gained now? Should U.S. fans just avert their eyes for a month? No, because this is going to be the the, the opportunity for guys – who have seen the Confederations Cup and have seen the main national team lose to Costa Rica, not impressed to Salvador and Honduras. Anyone out there in MLS or any of these second-tier European guys, now is the time to call up Bob Bradley, assuming he's still the coach, and say, this is my time. I want this chance. I want to go out there and show what can be done. It's going to be a lesser team. And it's not going to be something for mainstream fans. It's going to be something for hardcore people to start arguments about that, uh, oh gosh, that, well, Connor Casey even came in against Brazil. So down the road, it's probably going to mean nothing, but you put in Edson Buttle or put, <laughs> give Marvell Wynn another shot. Uh, it just anything, uh, anything, just throw completely random lineups in the Gold Cup. Bradley doesn't have this opportunity very often. Just just go crazy with it. Like you said, it's the Gold Cup. If there is, well, if there is yeah, if there is a future, uh, you may see it on display over the next month. There's no easy answers for this thing. You don't have them. I don't have them, and I'm not even sure the people in charge have them. But I'm sure they don't. Uh, <laughs> we're going to see how it plays out. 
Topic two. All right, one question that many U.S. fans have been asking this week is how did Giuseppe Rossi get away? If you don't know the story, Giuseppe Rossi is a 22-year-old player from New Jersey, Italian heritage with dual citizenship, chose to play for Italy, the land of his ancestors, rather than America, the land of his birth and residence for the first 12 years of his life. Now, I think I have slightly less of an opinion on what Rossi actually did than I do about the reaction to it, which seemed to have crested on Monday and Tuesday, apparently, but I'll let you go first, Dan. He is the worst trader since Quisling. He should be hunted down and forced to give the American part of his bodily organs to deserving sick citizens so they could live productive lives instead of destroying the American dream. I thought you told me during the week you were going to be a little wishy-washy on this topic. (laughs) I think I am. I I think he can live without corneas and – you know what? If he wants a liver so badly, let him get one from Italy. Let him. Uh, yeah, I'm part of the, th- the. As you point out, you get a lot of reactions like mine, where uh, I draw a very sharp distinction between did he make the right decision, which is yes. I don't know how you argue that at this point, and should American fans be honked off about it? Which, again, is a resounding yes. How are you not angry about this? How do you not resent this as a, as a fan? Not not his choice. Not even the fact that he's going, apparently, to be a star for a major international power. That he beat the United States and he made us look bad. And you boo that guy. He's on the other team now. Well, here's what, well, here's part of it. And I see part of what you're saying in that, uh, from a, from a storyline standpoint, and I know that sports is about emotion and you need heroes as well as villains for compelling drama. I just can't bring myself to the righteous indignation. I mean, we lost out. Of course you lost out. You know, it's, it's not righteous indignation. That I will grant you. It's not. It is pure fan. Gorilla-mouthed, lizard-brained rage that somebody who could have played for us played for a better team and beat us. That was all within his rights. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. He he made a good decision. He made a right decision. You put that in front of me, and I'll sign it. What I won't sign is and, and good for oh the, the name of good sportsmanship. I I wish he could have had a hat trick against us. You don't get to be an American hero and make the decision. You get to make the decision and be an Italian hero. He's going to be rich. He's going to be famous. All of that is great. He is not going to be popular in the United States. That he does not get. The fundamental, yeah, you make a choice and the jilted party is jilted. And you don't get you don't get to say how someone gets to react when you do that. Well, I think I do. Well, we'll take a quick time out and be right back with Andrew Bell of the Charleston Battery. We'll revisit the Mount Rushmore question. It's all coming up when we return. This is for at the back. Good idea, getting a haircut. Bad idea, getting a comb over. Hmm. Good idea, mowing your lawn. Bad idea, writing a message to your neighbor in your lawn. Good idea, going fishing in your boat. Bad idea. Going fishing in your boat and not wearing a life jacket. At least 85% of all boating fatalities would have been prevented if the victims had only worn their life jacket. Stay afloat. Stay alive. Wear your life jacket. The Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. 
And thank you for that. Keep listening. Keep talking about the show. Keep telling your friends about us. Keep sending us your emails at podcast at ken.com. Topic three. We had a request not long ago for more United Soccer League's talk. You asked. We deliver. The top team in USL 1 is the Charleston Battery at the moment. They made a great run to the U.S. Open Cup final last year, and they're undefeated thus far in 2009. I asked their president and broadcaster, Andrew Bell, for the secret to their success. I was just talking about this to someone today, Ken. I mean, We've, the batter is now in year 17. So, you know, we've been, we've been a professional soccer club since before Major League Soccer even, even was anyone's, you know, idea. We've been around longer than that. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things in, in professional sports. It's cyclical. Um, you have good years, you have rebuilding years. Um, but we've, we've got an excellent management team at the club. Um, we've got excellent ownership. Our head coach, Mike Anhauser. He's now uh, in his fifth year with, with us as head coach. He's the most experienced USL first division coach. Um, and, you know, and I think all of that stuff can come together and, and it can bear fruit. You know, it takes patience, but you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You've, you've got to put the pieces in, in, in play. You've got to bring the right people in to the organization. Um, and it takes time to, to get the right group of players together. Uh, and I think this year, you know, we're very fortunate. We've got an excellent goalkeeper in Dusty Hudak and, our back four has been fantastic. I think Dusty now, he's played 11 games. He's only conceded two goals, so it, it's remarkable. And obviously, you know, if, if you get the defense right, everything else is going to fall into place eventually. Certainly, and you have a lot of guys who have played at a very high level. You have uh, several former MLS players and guys who have been around USL 1 for several years. Daniel Antoniak is a former league MVP, very good player. What is overall I mean, the quality of play in this league where you see so many players now, maybe more than in the past, that have played at a very, very high level? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a, there is a level of professionalism in the game in the United States that transcends the league that the players are playing in. You know, there are players in our league that could be playing in Major League Soccer. There are players who are playing in Major League Soccer that should be playing in uh, USL 1 or USL 2. Um, you know, and even in USL2, there are some very good players, you know, who, if circumstances have been different, would have had, you know, would have had six, seven, eight-year careers with MLS. And, you know, you'll see that, and we see it every year when, when the, the, uh, the leagues meet in competition, in competitive games, in the US Open Cup, you're going to see upsets, you know. And um, we, we've, we, we, we just try and do everything in, as professional as we can. Um, we try and put the best product on our, on the field as possible, um, and hopefully we make some good decisions uh, in terms of players. I mean, you know, just just I mean, for me, this is the 11th year I've been with the club, and you know, I've, uh, some of the players that we have signed for this season, you know, we've been following their careers, you know, for the past five or six years. You know, it gives you that his- historical perspective. You get to know the player very well, uh, the player that you're looking at, and, and obviously. If you get those decisions right, you're going to have success. We're speaking with Andrew Bell of the Charleston Battery, who also calls games in USL 1 on Fox Soccer Channel. Andrew, obviously when you talk about comparing leagues, there's always going to be the talk of promotion and relegation. So as an Englishman, I need to ask you if you think that's ever going to be feasible here with our structure. Well, you know, <laughs> not in the obviously the current structure is not going to happen, is it? But um, I would love it. Um, I've, I've always felt that the Charleston Battery is a second division team. You know, we're a small market. 
Um, we used to have a, a tremendous relationship with Major League Soccer. It was a reciprocal relationship that worked for both parties. Um, we've always felt our, our motive with our club here in Charleston has been since 1992 to help develop the game of soccer in the United States, to help promote it, to bring it along, to, to bring the professional game along. That's our mission. Um, and if that is as a support club to a Major League Soccer team, then so be it. You know, we're, we're proud of the players that we've developed that have gone on to play for Major League Soccer, that have gone on to play in European leagues. That's part of our philosophy. Um, but the overriding philosophy of the club is to develop the game of soccer, whether it's at, uh, at a grassroots level, whether it's at the college level or uh, at the professional level. And, and you know, again, we, we have absolutely no problem uh, looking at ourselves and saying, looking in the mirror and saying, you know, we're second division um, and we should be part of the pyramid in the United States that peaks with a first division league, with a top first division league, major league soccer, you know, hopefully is developing players that can play for the national team and, and, you know, and bring the game along in that way as well. Well, you may not get to the point where we see a, a USL team get promoted, but you do get shots like you guys are going to get on June the 30th against Chivas USA. They're tied for the top of their league, and you guys are a point clear as we record this of on your league. So this is a really interesting matchup. How intense do you think it will be? Yeah, it's going to be a good game. It's always a good game for us when um, when we get a team from MLS at Blackboard Stadium. We've we've had some notable upsets over the years, and I know from from the other side, I, I, I you know we've been there as well. And for Chivas USA, it's a difficult match because it's a banana skin for them. You know, they've they've really got everything to lose. Um, you know, they're a ter- terrific organization. Actually, it was talking to those guys that preseason about possibly coming into our preseason tournament, the Carolina Challenge Cup. It, it didn't work out. So this game on June 30th, 30th will be the first time that the, the clubs have met. I look forward to it. I know they've got some fantastic players on their roster. And for that, and for, for us and for our fans and for our market, that's fantastic, you know, because they're going to get to see, hopefully, you know, Sacha Kleistin, uh uh, et al, Jonathan Bornstein, they've got some terrific players. They're having a great season, um, but so are we, and uh, and we'll do our very best to, to make it a, a competitive game. Last thing before we let you go, uh, this league is going to lose over the next couple of years, Vancouver and Portland. You've already lost Seattle, but you have Tampa Bay and potentially New York, maybe some others coming in. Uh, look over the next five, ten years of this league. Do you see things shaking out to a point where you'll continue to be successful despite losing some clubs that have been really successful over the years? Yeah, I think so. And I, my personal opinion is that, you know, markets like Portland, like Vancouver, um, like Seattle, well, they belong in Major League Soccer. They're Division One markets, um, and there's a reason that they're they're moving up. You know, I think I think you know smaller markets like Charleston, like Austin, which is an expansion franchise in the USL one this year, you know, can fit within the pyramid of of soccer in the United States comfortably as a second division markets. You know, and I think that that ultimately is the way it's going to shake out. I think you're going to see more markets like Charleston, similar-sized markets to Austin joining the USL First Division and hopefully providing the infrastructure in the United States to keep the, uh, to keep the sport heading in the right direction and, and ultimately to help, you know, to help the national team have success. That's Andrew Bell from the Charleston Battery and USL Broadcast on FoxSoccerChannel.com. Topic 4. 
Okay, now we want to go back to a topic that stirred up some conversation a week ago. We asked, who would be on your Mount Rushmore of American soccer? I had Pele, Mia Hamm, Billy Gonzalez, and Lamar Hunt. Dan had Landon Donovan in place of Lamar Hunt. We got feedback from listeners about their four heads through email and postings on my blog at Ken.com and Dan's at BigSoccer.com. Here's what some of our listeners had to say. Michael in Texas said uh, he agrees on Lamar Hunt, who is pivotal in both NASL and, and MLS, says he would add Rick Davis because he represents America's home grown professional soccer player and showed that America could produce a player that could play with the world's aging soccer players. What do you think about Rick Davis? I think it's very hard to add the fourth best player on his team. Uh, fifth. It, it's, I respect what he's done, but, but he was partly famous because he was the American guy. Yeah, I think his, I think his fame, his, his fame kind of outstripped his actual, but not that he wasn't a good player because he was, but if you're going to have somebody that represents an American homegrown soccer player proving that we could do it, I'd put Rote in before I'd put Davis in. He was probably the better, well, no, Davis was a better player. Uh, yeah, but again, we're not going by four best players because we admitted last week that there are better players than Mia Hamm. That, well, look who has the memory working. <laughs> Um, we do tape these things, you know. <laughs> right. Well, Michael goes on to, to ask, do you add Tattoo or one of the guys who bridges that era between NASL and MLS? I'm not sure. I mean, I understand that those that era needs to be recognized, and I've fought with the Soccer Hall of Fame on this, that I think those guys are getting screwed, uh, but I don't think Mount Rushmore. He also says he agrees on Alan Rothenberg, and, you know, we went back and forth on Rothenberg, who also had a, a good hand as a founder, but I think that Lamar beats him out. He says, I disagree on Billy Gonsalves because of the rationale. He was a very good player, but his presence did not necessarily lead to a foundational shift of American soccer. Well, Michael, if you're going to go by that, then nobody's on Mount Rushmore because there has not been a foundational <laughs> shift in American soccer. I gave my oh, rationale for Gonzalez last week, which is he represents the players who came before because American soccer history did not start in 1967. It did not start with Paul Caligiuri. It did not start with Eric Ronaldo's goal in 1996. So if you want to put Archie Stark in there to represent that, fine. But there's a whole mess of history going back before 1967 that somebody needs to recognize that. And as far as Gonzalez not being the Babe Ruth of American soccer, I didn't come up with that name. Someone else did. Yeah. No one. There's no Babe Ruth of anything other than Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was so completely unique that it's a misnomer no matter who says the Babe Ruth of something. He was so far. He's three standard deviations away from everybody else. Uh, but Gonzalez, fine. Put Stark, put one of those guys in there. Totally fine with that. Let's move on. Our buddy Bo in Virginia says uh, three very good picks. So he agrees with our three that we agree with. And then says for his fourth, either Rothenberg or he says Bruce Arena. The case for Arena that Bo makes is a great college coach which he was, whose teams were probably playing a bolder, more positive game than most college teams at the time, which is probably right. The instant success in MLS, let's be honest, in the early the early points of this league, uh, you know, it was a kingdom of the blind kind of situation. Then an eight-year run as national coach that included a fantastic World Cup result. To that, I would say that has a point, Bo, but then at some point we're going to have to put Park Chi Sung and Andres Escobar <laughs> on Mount Rushmore, and that's not going to happen. Uh, he also well, mentioned and Don with Gar- every passing week with the Galaxy, he tarnishes his reputation. Yes, that's, uh, he's probably going. If he 
boy, if he had never come back to MLS, he probably would be a better pick. Well, I, I think, don't know how and I, and I think, else to put that. And I think he's a Hall of Famer. No, Bruce Arena is going to be Hall a Hall of Famer. Player. Yeah, Mount Rushmore? Ah, oh, no. No question. And uh, Bo also finishes the wild card, given that his career is still going. Don Garber, if he steps down as commissioner 10 years from now and leaves behind the league with 18 to 22 healthy teams, he deserves consideration. Can you believe Don Garber has already been in office for 10 years this August? Uh, it is possible that over the next 10 years, if things go well, he could be considered if we revisit this in 10 years. That's, I am 100% on board with that. He, I think his biggest tests are to come. And one of those tests will be what happens when the NHL or the NBA finally <laughs> discover what this guy's been doing with American freaking soccer and opens up the checkbook. Uh, but the, that is absolutely right. I, nothing against Phil Woosnam, but Garber found uh, a flounder and turned it into an angelfish. That's not a good. That's not a good metaphor. But Garber did a good job. Matt says uh, he restricted his list of players, but if considering others, he would have listed Lamar Hunt and Rothenberg. And the ones he chose, which he admits aren't necessarily best players, but the most influential, Joe Gaitchens, which. Let's be honest here. If you're going to go back to this trader thing, his three caps, his three caps came in that World Cup for the U.S. and he played for Haiti in a World Cup qualifier three years later. Okay, talk about hired guns, and 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 we're going to open up a can of worms here. We can discuss this later, maybe on the anniversary of it. But in the scheme of things, as you look at it, that result in Belo Horizonte in 1950 meant zip, nothing. It's a great story. But the coach said afterwards, this is all that it'll take to make soccer go in the States. He was wrong. It did nothing. It's a great story. Joe Gaitchens, love him to death, does not belong on Mount Rushmore. It is up to people like us to remember Gaitchens and and Gonsalves. Gonsalves was more popular during his time. But this is why we're here and why you, the listener, are here. We have to make these guys remembered. but that, as far as Hall of Fame, a uh, Hall of Fame, as far as Mount Rushmore, uh, the impact that Gaitchens had is far, the, non-existent. It's a great unless story. you're just going by his his story is inspiring. But there are there are lots of inspiring stories that aren't going up on Mount Rushmore. Matt also lists Mia Hamm and Pele, and I'm sure this one's tongue-in-cheek. Andrew Shue for proving that MLS wasn't above cheaply pandering to the Hollywood media in 1996. They're not above it today. <laughs> Andrew Shue, uh, an underrated player. <laughs> yes, I can I can talk to you about it. He was, he was 30 when the league started. He had played in freaking Zimbabwe. He, if he had been 10 years younger, he would have, been, he would have gotten some all-star like votes. He would have been player of the week once or twice. He was a perfectly acceptable player who was doing his second job in 1996. When you could moonlight as an MLS player. Yes, yeah, so that's he was he wasn't the best player on the team. He was not the worst. Uh, Matt says uh, seriously for his fourth pick he'd pick McBride, who represented the USA well, played well, continues to play well in MLS and excellently in the EPL. Others he considered were Dooley and Miola. Uh, I think less said about that, the better. Uh, Steve in Salt Lake City writes, Pele, no question. Mia Hamm did more to put our sport on the U.S. cultural map than any male in the 90s or the 2000s. Lamar Hunt narrowly over Anschutz. Uh, Lalas, which I think is a point you made last week, Alexi Lalas, that people, you know, his stock is at an all-time low now, but if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, Alexi Lalas might very be, very well be one of the guys that you said, oh yeah, well, it's gotta be Alexi Lalas. 
that's that's also as part of one of the one of the main criticisms that he was much more sizzle than substance. But if you, you try being sizzling as an American soccer player, it's not <laughs> it's not easily done today any more than it was in the '90s, any more than it was in the '70s. And at least Alexi Lawless backed it up on the field more than uh, a lot of guys then, today, and in the future. And uh, finally, Mitch from Canada. I'll do these in inverse order because when I get to number one, you're going to gag. Don Garber, which we've talked about. Pele, obviously, which seems to be a consensus choice. Donovan, which he agrees with you. Here's what's going to set Dan off is his number one choice. And he says, I know Dan will hate me for this, and trust me, I don't like it either. But David Beckham has brought the best seasons ever to MLS, if just for the media that he's brought. He should be up there even if he's inside someone's nose. He's strung up there. Well, keep sending us your picks for Mount Rushmore. This is this can be an ongoing thing, and we can milk this for just exactly as long as you will let us. Okay, let's go to our email bag this week. Adam in Washington, D.C. writes, D.C. United fan here, just found your show. Build it and they will come. Great show, great interview with Shep. More from Shep Messing next week. I, for one, can't wait till MLS has reached a state befitting of the Cosmo Crest. He says, I do agree with him that that time isn't now. MLS needs to install a luxury tax so that the odd billionaire owner who isn't driven by profit but by glory has the opportunity to build a true American giant. And the tax can go into some general marketing fund, he says. He goes on a bit, but the gist is there. He's not the first person to suggest uh, untying the purse strings in MLS. I just don't think it's workable right now, Dan. What do you say? Uh, it's it is tempting, but what you don't want to do is take right now what is a good franchise and overshoot and leave them an empty shell. You don't need to turn uh, DC United's a bad example because their billionaire owner needs to build him a stadium, but you don't want to turn the Chicago Fire into the LA Aztecs because you've guessed prematurely by about 15 years how ready the market is for an NASL-style, what would be an all-star team. This one from a blog posting uh, says, uh, Dan Loney's voice would work well as a villain on the Batman cartoon. You do any voiceover work? Stand ready for the big game. <laughs> sure, you okay to me. Sorry, Penguin, the game's been called. <laughs> God. You know, in my head... I sound so majestic. So I sound like either Brian Blessed or or Peter O'Toole. And then I hear the show, and I realize why I'm doing the comedy. And Troy writes, uh, thanks for the podcast, gentlemen. I discovered it during the Confederations Cup. Well, he is a long-time listener, first-time emailer. Uh, and he says, I've enjoyed listening to your archive shows over the last week. Love your focus on U.S. soccer, especially MLS and the U.S. men's national team. And he says, I really appreciate your analysis of the topics you've been tackling. It's been informed, perceptive, and balanced. I wonder if he's been listening to another show. Uh, <laughs> one topic I would be interested in hearing you discuss, Troy writes, is whether the U.S. men's national team has progressed or regressed since 2002. Where are you on that one, Dan? It's, that's a little unfair because 2002 was, in retrospect, a career year for just about everybody, including Bruce Arena, and I'm counting DC United. That was where everybody on the roster, except for Regie and Agus, did what they had to do to win and played well above even the most optimistic expectations for them. 
Yeah, I think people forget that, that going into uh, 02, I mean, that, that team was very, very good. I mean, it did very well in the hex. And I think even going into, even in the last cycle, I think the, the, the squad that went to Germany got hosed by a horrible draw. People People forget that. Just like they forget that the eventual world champions were tied twice, once in the final in regulation and once in group play. Because the United States did so poorly in the other two games that, to a certain extent justifiably, that overshadowed it. But you can't just go by how far we went in the World Cup and conclude then because, well, I mean, we won a game in 1950. Let's, let's get a bunch of amateurs from St. Louis. It couldn't hurt. Well, of course it could hurt. Well, and this is a tough week to try to make that call because everybody's a little bit on edge with the two results thus far in the Confederations Cup. Finally, wait, Jonathan wait, writes... Wait until we lose to Egypt. <laughs> Finally, Jonathan writes, I just wanted to say that I really enjoy your show. Thank you, Jonathan. My only complaint is that I wish the show was longer. Well, that's that's, that's flattering. I, we're that's... getting there. <laughs> we're getting there tonight. Uh, it's really good to hear informed and entertaining discussion of American soccer. Thank you, Jonathan, and thanks to all of you who send us your emails. Please continue to do so because we do appreciate them. What's the email address? The email address is podcast at ken dot com. Send us your thoughts, your likes, your dislikes, your suggestions, anything. Once again, that's podcast at ken dot com. And finally. Time once again for the lightning round. 30 seconds on the clock, please. First answer that comes to your mind, Mr. Loney. Here we go. Name one MLS team that will lose its third-round U.S. Open Cup match. Geez, only one? Uh, it's easier to pick one that'll make. Uh, Chivas USA. They, they stink in the Open Cup. Better concept for a Telemundo reality show. I married a Chiva girl, or where in the world is Diego Gutierrez? Men cannot marry Chiva girls in California thanks to Prop 8. That's right. I went there. And finish the sentence. The USA will win a World Cup when? When we finally get our Navy and Army together and conquer the world and manifest destiny like it should have done. Teddy Roosevelt is up on Mount Rushmore for a reason, folks. It's more than 30 seconds, but I think that's it. Dan, any final thoughts? Of course not. Many thanks to Andrew Bell, and many thanks to you for listening. Tell a friend. I'm on vacation next week, so we'll bring you the entire Shep Messing interview. Shep Unplugged on Floor at the Back Extra next time. Until next time, for Dan Loney, I'm Ken Tomash, and this has been Floor at the Back. Well, there it is, a match that had everything, and one that certainly lived up to its promise. It's only a pity that somebody usually has to lose. But there's always another day... Another great match to be drawn, lost or won when we'll join you again.